Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. I want you to open your Bible to the 51st Psalm. And while you're doing that, I want to once again welcome those that join us on the internet. We received a note this week from a family in Russia that every single Sunday you watch, and I know it's in the wee hours of the day there, uh, or many hours ahead there, and uh, we welcome you and others that watch, and to every guest that's here, when you get through uh, with our hour of worship, we hope you'll stay for Bible study. We have a place for you. But in between, as you make your way there, and if you don't know how to get there, we'll help you if you'll come to our hospitality room right over here to the left out of the big foyer. And I have some gifts I want to give you to take home with you that'll bless you for a long time to come. So please, don't rush out. Stay around and enjoy everything that God has planned for you today. Last Sunday, we looked at the 119th Psalm. We spoke about rising above mediocrity and how the psalmist David was so clear in laying out for us how to do that. And some things that were uh, very important and the most important was to be true to the Word of God. And over and over he talked about God's commandments, God's word, God's statutes. And all of this had to do with helping us move ahead, to move above. Now today I want to speak to you on a subject that is very important as it relates to what we talked about last week. I want to speak to you on what sin does to a Christian. I want you to listen very carefully today if you say I'm a born-again believer or if you say I'm a Christian or I go to church or I'm a religious person. I want you to listen carefully because David again is our example of how easy it is for a person that walks with God to have things happen in their life that causes them to drift away from walking in obedience to the Lord. And David was a very clear example of that. And we will remember in the story of how he started off as a teenage hero. He was able to move to the top very young in his life, and his peer groups would look at him, and of course the words King David. But we also remember that there was a very traumatic thing in his life. There was those years when he began to think that he had control of himself and he did not need God and that he would go on and do things his way. When that happened, David went through some very difficult years. And we're going to look at that this morning because you see what happens to David happens to us. And it is a very clear word. It's not subject to opinions. It's not even subject to interpretation. It is just subject to believing it or not believing it. 
So I want you to stand with me out of respect to the reading of the 51st Psalm. I'll only read aloud to you 13 verses. <clears throat> Although the Psalm goes through the 19th. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you mightest be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. May God bless the reading of his word, and would you be seated. Some things follow others as night follows day. One of those things is that suffering and anguish always follow sin. I want you to pay very careful attention this morning to the clear word of God. Because I'm speaking to many that you are either there or on the verge of being right where David was when he wrote the 51st Psalm. I want you to know that God's word is always true. I heard the story about a fella that was on a street corner in Chicago in West Madison and he was preaching the word and people started mocking him and a man came up to him and he began to mock him out of the crowd and he said, that book is a bunch of fables, it's a bunch of lies, it's not true, there's not one word in this book that's true. And he said, do you really believe that? And he said, yes, I do. Unbeknowing to the man that was doing the hassling, the man doing the preaching was a saved professional boxer that had come to know the Lord while uh, in the boxing world. So the man said, you don't believe the Bible? You don't believe any word of it's true? He said, come up here. So the man came up to him and he said, now I want to make sure you don't believe there's anything in the Bible that's true. He said, that's exactly right. He reached out and he grabbed him by the nose, just like this. And he took his nose and he, and he turned it 180 degrees, pushed it back in his face, pulled it out and turned it loose and blood went everywhere. He said, I would like to read to you a scripture, sir, from Proverbs 30, verse 83. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood.
I hope you're not that difficult to convince this morning <laughs> that I want to talk to you out of the Word of God. A child of God, listen to me carefully, cannot lose their salvation. It is eternal, everlasting in every instance in the Bible. You cannot lose your salvation. But hear me, you can lose the joy of your salvation. You see, when God comes into a life, you discover for the first time freedom, peace, joy, fulfillment, contentment, quietness. There is that love that flows through you. And when sin is allowed by your choice to creep back in, and it happened to many in the Bible, just like King David, he allowed his emotions, he allowed the lust of the flesh to take over, and he allowed sin to come in. And when it came in, all of the joy of David was cast aside. I want you to keep your Bible open if you have the Bible with you today. And I want you to see some things very brief, very profound, and very much to the point. These are things you can take home with you and you can go back this afternoon and read the 51st Psalm and you will see that these things are right on. What does sin do to a Christian? Number one, it will always soil the soul. It will soil the soul. You say, what do you mean by that? It'll make you feel dirty. That's what I mean by that. It'll make you be ashamed. There is a reason that nightclubs are dark. There is a reason that places of sin are dark. Because you can get in and hide in that darkness. Because who wants to look in a bright mirror and see the countenance gone? Because the sin has come in. The worst kind of pollution that you can have. You can be starched and ironed, but not washed in the blood of the Lamb. Whenever a Christian decides to go back and live the life of sin, they feel so dirty. It soils the soul. But there's another thing that it does. It saturates the mind. It saturates the mind. Look at verse 3, if you will. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Every believer here knows when there's been that moment, whether it's been brief or for a period of time, when you begin to go back to that old life, there's no joy out there anymore because when you become a believer, you've enjoyed your last sin. There are times when you will go back and you will, un you will find out, I don't know why, I just don't enjoy this. And it begins to make you feel guilty. And when you're in the quiet place and you're trying to go to sleep at night and you're tossing and turning, when you think about all that the Lord has done for you, and then you think about that sin. Why did I do that? Why is it that I'm going through what I'm going through? Hear me, that's not a bad thing. Matter of fact, if sin does not bother you mentally, you're not saved. If it doesn't bother you when you do those things you know that break the heart of God, when you commit those sins that nailed Jesus to the cross, and it doesn't bother you, 
You need to be born again. You need to be saved. God loves you even in spite of yourself. But it saturates the minds. You ever have anybody laugh about being backslidden? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm an old backslidden Baptist. <laughs> uh-uh. You lost. If you can laugh about being backslidden, you're lost. If you're one of those that can always laugh about when you sin and it doesn't break your heart, you're lost. It affects your mind when you leave God out. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's where the joy of the Lord comes. Well, when does it disappear? When the mind of the world comes back in. That's when it disappears. And the floodwaters of sin come back. Another thing it does, it stings the conscience. Look at David again. Verse 4 says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Here's what he's saying. This is reason it stings his conscience. He not only did wrong. He not only knows he did wrong. But he knows that God saw him do wrong. It amazes me how people come to church confess their sin. It's so difficult for them to confess it because they don't think God knows about it till they confess it. God knew about it before when you were thinking about doing it. Matter of fact, if you'll go back, he looked at every opportunity for you to turn and run the other way, but you came closer and closer and closer till finally you were just, so to speak, well, I was just in the wrong crowd at the wrong time. I didn't do anything wrong, Judge. I didn't do anything wrong. It was those people I was running with. That's the reason the Lord said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is. That's the reason, one of the reasons we're here today to strengthen one another and to encourage one another and to assure one another that everybody is not rebelling against God. David said, God, I forgot for a little while that you saw it, that you saw it. But then it also saddens the heart. Look in verse 8 and verse 12. It says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. You see, when you lose, I mean, when you sin, you lose the joy. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose the joy of it. I asked you a question today. Are you right with God? Are you right with God? You say, well, preacher, how can you tell? I'll tell you one of the ways you can tell, you're happy. Now, that doesn't mean everything's going your way, but you know in whom you have believed in and you're persuaded that he is able to keep it together until that day. Unless you're lost. When a person is out there in rebellion against God, the joy of the Lord is gone. You become angry. Happiness is not flown at the castle of the heart because the king is not enthroned. I remember at 15, the first time I went to London, England. I remember being carried by the guide over to the Buckingham Palace and we were told before we got there because everybody wants to know there's a queen there, there's a queen there, there's a queen there. There's a queen there. You know, are they there today? I said, well, the way you can tell is that when they're there, the flag will be flying over the palace. 
You see, when the king is on the throne, the flag of happiness is flown over the life of the person that has put Jesus in his rightful place. That's what happens. Even when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, you comfort me. I think all of you would believe, I mean, would agree with me, that a lot of people that say they're Christians literally look like the pictures on a bottle of iodine. You know? I mean, they really get mad. They just get mad about any little old thing. I mean, their temper will fly off like that because the joy is gone. We senior adults like to sing a song, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Some senior adults need to sing it, the the older I get, the grouchier I get. (laughs) See, a lot of senior adults are trying to live on the faith of their youth and the faith of their middle age. But somewhere along the way, they decided to quit serving, quit praying, quit giving, quit going, quit coming, you know, those things. And now it comes down to just sitting on the uh, the premises instead of standing on the promises. I thank God for the senior adults of this church. I can honestly say to pastors all over the country, and I have one of my dear ones sitting right here, Brother Matthew Davis and Carolyn sitting here, pastor right down the highway. I want you to know in all the years of my pastor, first time pastor, he's going to preach today at 11 o'clock down in his church. And his wife's going to play the piano. And they're here worshiping us today to take in a little bit because they give it out every Sunday down there at the New Beginnings Church. And we welcome you, sir. We are glad to have you here in our services. Amen. But our senior adults around Sagemont, I just love to, when I don't see some of you, I miss it because they're funny, they encourage you. They they have a way of just uh, saying the right thing and doing the right thing. There's no advertisement for Jesus for you to look so serious like you're the judge. (laughs) I thank God that I know at the judgment day who the judge is going to be. And by the way, he won't be a Republican or a Democrat. You don't have to run for him or contribute to the campaign. The Bible says, Jesus said, I'm going to be the judge because I got all the facts. You don't have to come up and give your testimony. You don't have to come up and talk about what the witness saw because I saw everything. And I'll make the decision. When you're right with the Lord, I believe that you'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And only sin can take away your joy. People can lose every dime they have and still be full of joy. They can walk up by the casket and go home. Sure, they'll grieve. You bet they'll grieve. Jesus grieved at Lazarus' grave. He was only dead a little while, and he came out, and he knew he was coming out, but he grieved. But there's still that peace that passes all understanding. That's the believer. That's the believer. Life is not about what people do to you. It's how you react to what people do to you. I heard a story a long time ago about an emperor that was upset with a preacher or a a proclaimer of the gospel over in Rome. He called the Roman leaders together and he said, we got to get rid of this guy. And so those who had been out here and the preacher preached said, what are we going to do? How are we going to take him out? We take everything he has away from him. He says he doesn't have much, that his riches are in Christ. 
it says if we put him in solitary confinement, he's got this friend named Holy something or another that, uh, that is with him wherever he goes, so we can't put him in solitary confinement. Somebody said, let's execute him. Say, you don't want to do that. Say, you'll promote him. <laughs> Amen? I mean, what are you going to do? Like S.M. Lockridge, that great, that great black preacher that I'm going to pray, play some Wednesday night when Stuart's gone, I'm going to pray his 23-minute sermon on the Lordship of Christ where he talks about who, that Jesus is Lord. And when it comes to that part about what are you going to do to destroy him, you set him on fire, he'll refuse to burn, you try to drown him, he'll walk on the water. I mean, he goes on and on through that. But you see, a person that's walking with God has one that sticks closer than the brother and a brother. And when you see your sin for what it is, it'll break your heart because that's what nailed Jesus to the cross. Another thing it does, it sickens the body. When you read this passage of Scripture, you will see that he was hurting even physically. He was having problems with his health. He was affecting everything in David's life, everything. And there are many that are sick today because of their sin. There are many people that are suffering in their senior adult years because of the sin of their teenage, college, and young life years. They're everywhere, everywhere. They would not listen to the warning. They would not listen to the caution. They would not listen to the statistics. They would not listen to the Word of God. And now they're suffering because of it. That's not new. That's always been around. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. It says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many are dead. That's true right today. There's a lot of people in our world that are sick because of drugs and alcohol and promiscuous sex, and you just go on and on, and you see what I'm talking about. There are two kinds of wounds that can come to your spirit. One is guilt, and the other is sorrow. Time has a way of healing sorrow, but guilt festers. It gets worse and worse and worse. You've got to go back to 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from your sin and from all, to, to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That scripture was written to the believer. Another thing it does, it sours the spirit. Sin sours the spirit. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Backsliders develop this. They find fault in everything. Everything. You name it, they'll find fault with it. I heard a story about a fellow that went to a little church and uh, he was negative about everything. You know, the further you get from God, the more judgmental you get. Did you notice that? I mean, you become more and more judgmental. This guy was like that. So he was at a deacon's meeting one time when the deacons got together to discuss things that uh, in this particular deacon's meeting, they didn't matter. But they got together, and this man wanted to address the, the deacons because he was concerned. 
So they said, all right, you may dress the deacons. He said, well, brothers, he said, I hate to bring this before you. But he said, you know how I love this church. And he said, I was down here trying to find a place to pray yesterday morning. And he said, I was walking down the hallway and I saw a door and I had not been in that room, even though it's been there forever, and I opened the door. And in that room was four brooms, brand new brooms. He said, y'all know how we're struggling financially. He said, I just want you to know what our preacher is doing with the money. <laughs> While we're struggling to give money to missions, he's down at Walmart buying four new brooms. <laughs> and we only have one custodian. But we got four new brooms, and it just breaks my heart. <laughs> See our mission dollars going out there to buy brooms? Times like this. And this young chairman of the deacons, he was just trembling. He had just come into the church a couple years before, and they'd already made him the chairman. He missed three meetings in a row or something. I don't know what happened, but anyway. <laughs> I don't know if that's always happened with deacons. That usually happens with preachers, though, right, Brother Matthew? That's the reason we try to go to the meetings. But anyway, this young chairman, he didn't know what to do. So he referred it to a committee. That's the Baptist way of doing it, if you're not a, <laughs> uh, a Baptist. Meantime, one of the other older deacons came up to the younger deacon chairman. He said, come here, I need to talk to you just a minute. He said, I can tell you were pretty upset. You're pretty shook up. And this is your first time to be chairman of the deacons. He said, let me help you understand the situation. Maybe you'll understand, brother so-and-so. said, oh, he's a good man, but he said, uh, let me tell you what the problem is. He said, maybe you can identify with him. He said, first of all, he's the richest man in the church. And he said, Number two, you need to understand that as he was in the hallway, coming down the hall, and he opened the door, here is the emotional experience that he had. And maybe you can identify with this. How would you like to be the richest man in the church and be a member of the church for 30 years and open the door of a closet and find all the money that you had given to the church <laughs> for 30 years tied up in four lousy brooms? He said, go home and take a half a baby aspirin, and finally he'll be quiet. <laughs> it sours the spirit, folks. It sours the spirit. Those that are full of Jesus are encourager. Was not Jesus an encourager? Did he not like to pick up the people that were brought in in their sin and say, go and sin no more? Every time you see him, he is doing that kind of thing. That's what it means. Finally, it seals the lips. Look at verse 14 and 15. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. You see, he says, when you free me, I'm going to start singing again. I'm going to start singing again. You hear Brother Bill oftentimes as our minister of music say, please sing. Please open your mouth. Please sing. Sometimes it's hard to sing when you're going through what David's gone through. But you know what he says is? He says, if you will deliver me from my blood guiltiness and my tongue will sing aloud your praises. Some don't teach. They won't serve because of their sin. Many are going to Go away without Jesus. That baptism this morning, 
I believe Brantley and all those in his family, one got saved, another, 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 as they saw joy of Jesus come into the heart, all the family. That's what, salvation, that's what the gospel's all about. That's the reason it's the Great Commission. That's the reason it's the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's a way home. Let me close very quickly by telling you there is a way home. You do not have to stay in your sin if you're a believer. If you, as I said a moment ago, 1 John 1, 9, go home and read it over and over again. Or better yet, go back to our Connection Center in about 10 minutes and have someone pray with you as that scripture is shared, 1 John 1, 9. If you will confess your sin, he will forgive. He will cleanse you. He will set you free. But you see, there is that, that confidence in that first verse, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, you blot out my transgression. How's Jesus going to do that? He's going to remind you you're under the blood. You're in the new covenant. You're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He's going to remind you of that because David knew that for a multitude of sin, there's a multitude of mercy. And even though God hates sin, he loves sinners. And he wants sinners to enjoy the relationship they have in Christ. So he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And so there was not only that confidence that God could do it for him, but there was a confession. And that is in verse 2 and through 5. Watch me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you might be justified when you speak. And be clear when you judge. You notice he just quit blaming the other person. Adam started that mess. You remember ladies. You remember. Adam started it. The best Eve could do was to blame the snake. You're not a victim of circumstances, my Christian brother and sister. You're a victim of sin. Our nation may accept the excuse that it's the environment, it's the culture. God won't buy that. Adam and Eve had a perfect, perfect environment, perfect culture. But they sin. And now because they sin, we're born with it. And every one of us need to understand that we sin. And we have a problem with sin because we're sinners. But he is faithful and just to cleanse us. And so as we think about David, he says, when you forgive me, I'm going to change. He says in verse 13, you're going to see me proclaiming, being a soul winner, a teacher, a preacher, a testifier. He says in verse 15, you're going to see me praising, singing, making melody in my heart, not complaining, but praising. And you're going to see me praying. That's in verse 18. You're going to see me praying. He says, you've been so good to me. Now, God, would you just bless Israel? Would you bless my people? Tonight, our leadership will meet. 
As we get ready for promotion next Sunday, I hope every one of you will be here for that meeting. If you are invited to that as one of our leaders through our iConnect ministry. As we gather together tonight, we're going to prepare ourselves. When next week there will be hundreds of new people that will show up here. There will be some that will be coming back. And we're going to have an opportunity to have a powerful day in the Lord if we get ourselves ready. If we humble ourselves and pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. What does sin do to a Christian? Does it take his salvation? No. But it takes away the joy. It takes away the joy. Don't let it do that. Life is brief and soon will be passed and only what's done for Christ is going to last. My neighbor this is an engineer at Boeing. He told me the other day that however long he's got left to live, he's, he will live twice as long as anybody else that dies on the day he dies because he only sleeps four hours. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to be awake at least four more hours than everybody else that believes in an eight-hour day. Well, I didn't join up with him. I didn't join up with him. I just wait and let him tell me about it later, I guess. But uh, here's the point, folks. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Now the choice is the ball's in your court. I mean, there's not one excuse, not one excuse any of us could give to God if we're believers for living beneath our privileges. To not get in on our inheritance. To not enjoy the abundant life rather than just existing life. To walk in the victory instead of in the agony of defeat. And to know how the game is going to come out. We win. We win. But my dear friend, if you are a believer, if you could just learn there's a whole lot of heaven on the way to heaven, you would be a step ahead of most of the world. If you learned that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. If you'll just learn that God has a plan for the home, God has a plan for the individual life, God has a plan for every age group, and there's something in there from remember thy creator in the days of thy youth until the very last moment where you fought a good fight, finished the course, and kept the faith. The choice is in us. When you got saved, it was your choice. Jesus had paid it all. Now in the next few moments, as we stand to sing our closing hymn, we're going to open up our Connection Center. Our Connection Center is across the entire back of this auditorium, back under the seats there. There's a beautiful, beautiful lobby. It is confidentially, it's quiet. No one goes in there except those that are going to be praying with you and for you and helping you and answering questions for you. Last week, that room was just absolutely packed. We've seen 76 people in the last two weeks come into the fellowship of our church, and God has blessed in un unbelievable ways. Well, how does that happen? Promotion? No. Just the Holy Spirit saying, come, and somebody saying, I will. I'm coming home. I've wandered far away from God, but now I'm coming home. Now you can go in there. If you've never asked Jesus in your life, listen to me. You have no excuse that God will accept for you're not receiving his gift of eternal life, which is the blood of his only son who died on the cross in order that you could receive that gift. So there's no excuse you could give. It may sound good to you or the friends you run with, but God will not accept it. There's no way, 
No way you'd come up with an excuse why you should not today. You say, well, I'm thinking about it. I'm going to give it some prayer. You don't even know what another day is going to bring. This may be the last sermon you ever, ever, ever hear. It may be the last one I'll ever preach. And for those of you that are walking, you say, I'm a believer, but I need Jesus in my life to take control again like he once did. How long are you going to wait? How many more sleepless nights are you going to have? How many more spiritually caused illnesses are you going to have? Because you had too much pride to say, I made a mistake. David was eat up with pride. But one day, the pride broke. And Jesus came rushing in. And God said, David, you are a man after my own heart. Thank you for coming and enjoying your inheritance in this life as well as in the life to come. So when we sing this song and we open those doors back there into that big room, you're welcome to come. Maybe you are a believer, you just need a church home. And you say, I want to get a part, be a part of this church is trying to get the gospel to the unreached people of the world. As our group has come back from Ethiopia this week, thank God for what happened there through them. We're glad they're safely home. We watched Brother Wade baptize a moment ago. He was on that trip as well as the leaders of our next service here at 11 o'clock. But last week is history. This is the first day of the rest of our life till Jesus comes. Let's all stand together. and We're going to sing. Brother Bill will lead us. As people are making their way to talk with you there, I hope that you, if you'd like to join them, can just go right now. If you want to wait till this song is over and then go back there, that'll be fine. But just go there and let God come into your life. Let's sing together. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.